Welcome to Faith Across Borders. I'm your host, Graeme Joseph Hill. Faith Across Borders is a podcast that is catalyzing innovative Christian faith through global conversations and local initiatives. Each week we bring you insightful conversations with experts, leaders and visionaries around the world who bring new perspectives in growing your faith in your spiritual journey. Today's special guest is Jayakuma Christian, former National Director and CEO of World Vision India, with responsibility for almost 2,000 aid workers serving 2.4 million children in India. For sponsorship inquiries, please email faithacrossborders at gmail.com. Please stay tuned. Your World Vision's partnership leader for faith and development. What sort of roles have you had with World Vision in the past and what does this role involve today? The different roles that I've uh, played. I was uh, frontline field staff. That's where I began my journey with World Vision uh, in some of our communities, especially rural Mm -hmm. programs. That's where I began and uh, over time played different roles. Uh, Mm -hmm. More recently, I was the national director for World Vision India Mm -hmm. for over 11 years. Mm -hmm. Moved to this new role as the uh, partnership leader for faith and development. Uh, And in this role, the excitement really is about bringing World Vision's field and faith convictions Mm -hmm. to influence our external engagement conversations, our strategy mm-hmm. formulation, and our leadership development. Um, mm. I, like, I like this, not just the focus, but the passion it requires. Uh, so, enjoying it. Can you tell us something about World Vision India? So, what kind of work are they involved in? World Vision India is uh, an operational organization, Pan-India. Uh, we serve something like 2.4 million children across the nation. Uh, We are involved in a significant portion of our programs, our community development, Mm. urban and rural, Mm. uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, And uh, we are also involved in humanitarian emergency response. So currently Mm. we are involved in uh, drought relief in India because that's a big disaster Mm. that's happening now. And also World Vision is actively working with the government in Mm -hmm. providing feedback on policies, Mm -hmm. sharing with them uh, issues and concerns at the Mm -hmm. field on how their policies are being executed. Our our work with the government primarily focuses on policy implementation rather Mm -hmm. than policy formulation. Mm -hmm. And as partnership leader for faith and development, what kind of activities are you involved with? Uh, Like I mentioned, there are three primary areas Mm. that I'm focusing on, uh, essentially to avoid being spread thin. The first one is external engagement of World Vision, Mm. um, to be able to integrate into our external engagement uh, from World Bank to UN to donor and bilateral and multilaterals, Mm. um, or with Islamic Relief and all those kinds of organizations, bringing World Vision's faith convictions to the table because we believe uh, 
any humanitarian action uh, would and must engage four particular segments of the society or aspects of the society. The first being faith in itself. Uh, to be able to produce sustainable change, we need to be able to engage faith. So faith is, has to be at the table. Faith communities will have to be at the table because a, a, a significant portion of sustainable change relates to mm -hmm. behavior and worldview and relationship changes. So will require the engagement of faith and will involve faith communities, faith leaders of various faiths and faith-based organizations. So to be able to create space and voice and leverage that strength. Uh, so this is not simply world vision agenda. This is really about enriching the humanitarian sector conversations and decisions and processes. The second area where I'm focusing on is on strategy formulation to really bring these four components to our strategy processes really at the, at the global, national and the local level. And finally, in terms of our leadership development, uh, both in terms of governance as well as management leadership. Mm. Uh, what does being a board of a faith-based organization mean and involve as compared to simply another NGO or an INGO? In God of the Empty Handed, which is your book, you look at six themes that redefine poverty mm. and responses to poverty. Uh, the first one is that we need to think about God complexes and mm. how people um, have God complexes and the way they relate to the poor. Can mm. you describe what you mean by that? The uh, poverty is not simply about statistics that have gone wrong. Uh, the world's tendency to reduce it to merely a statistical phenomenon or something that has gone wrong statistically is being too reductionistic because poverty is about relationships and relationships that were originally meant to serve as safety nets have gone wrong because people tend to play God in the lives of the poor. Uh, when I say God in the lives of the poor, I mean uh, the tendency to claim absolute status, tendency to defy any scope limitation, tendency to influence the future, uh, the tendency to assume that their power will never get deflated. These are all attributes that you normally ascribe mm -hmm. to God. And when people assume that status, I'm suggesting they're tending to play God in the lives of the poor. And the, the complication here is it's not individual actors or players who play God. They tend to reinforce each other to keep the poor powerless. So when that happens, we are not up against simply some particular aspect of life of the poor gone wrong. We are dealing with issues of people playing God in the lives of the poor. And I've said that that's the phrase that I've used to describe this phenomenon, that we're not simply dealing with uh, incidental poverty issues. We're dealing with the system structures and people who are tending to play God in the lives of the poor. What effect does this have on the poor? Clearly, uh, there are several themes that I've developed consequent mm. to that. 
one of the things is that human spirit that is made to yield only to its creator gets abused. When human spirit is made to submit to any other other than God, the other word for it is poverty and oppression. That is what happens. There is no sense of hope. The, the poor are told your value for the larger economic system is simply mm. you're a tool for production and you have really no value in this process in this and if you're not of value to the economic system mm. you're useless so we are up against not just simply structures and systems we are also up against an ideology that governs these systems systems and structures and this is where i believe the church has a unique role to provide mm that alternate mm. ideological system that will challenge this tendency to play God in the lives of the poor. Mm. The church owes it to the society. Theological institutions to provide must provide mm. thought leadership here. Uh, otherwise, frontline staff like us, we don't know another alternate to go to. Mm. So we buy it off the secular shelf. Mm. So that is the challenge for us. Mm. You also say that poverty is a result of broken relationships. Mm. What do you mean by that and how do broken, broken relationships reinforce poverty? It kind of piggybacks on the earlier statement that mm. poverty is about broken relationships in the sense and then results in people playing God in the lives of the poor. Mm. Broken relationships were originally intended to be safety nets for us humans. When that mm -hmm. relationship is intentionally and unintentionally broken, we give birth mm -hmm. to vulnerabilities, marginalization, poverty, you name, name it. That is that state where broken relationships have happened. And it mm -hmm. happens in many ways. The, the voice of the poor and the vulnerable are considered as not worth listening to, simply as damaged goods. The poor exit themselves when the power confronts powerlessness, they submit in loyalty or stand up and express voice, they're simply crushed. The mainstream systems are so designed to keep, to define mainstream in such a way that will keep the margins marginalized, marginalized. And the power in it by its very nature when it confronts powerlessness cannot flourish without division and dividing people simply the rule of divide and rule. That's how power thrives. Mm. And uh, poverty, the casualty mm. is relationships are broken. Mm. At the household level, domestic, at the community level, nations versus nations. Uh, and we pay the price. And the price for this is paid mm. by not simply political rulers. The price for it is paid by the ordinary citizens mm. of our nations. And I think you say the church is well-placed to provide an alternative to this, mm. especially the concept of covenantal relationships. Yes, Graham. Uh, church is uniquely placed to address mm. this, these themes that I have developed mm. in the sense the church uh, is probably a, a community that believes in a God who is relational, a God who exists in triunity in relationship. Uh, a God who enters into a covenant with his creatures. A God who really longs for relationship. 
And the church has a unique position to be able to bring that solution, that answer mm -hmm. to a broken uh, relationship and to be able to transform relationships. And I, this again, I think requires for the church, theological institutions that uh, name the name of Jesus Christ to provide thought leadership to mm -hmm. the humanitarian action, to the political mm -hmm. leadership. Because we're dealing with, our nations are bleeding. Our people are bleeding. And uh, the church must be there to be able to provide that solution. And I think the rule in life is hurt people tend to multiply hurt. Mm -hmm. Healed people heal others. Mm -hmm. The church is a community that is healed, being healed. Who else to provide the solution than the church? How is poverty the result of marred identities as well? The analysis of any situation of vulnerability, uh, if you keep asking the question, why are you poor? Why do you consider vulnerable? At certain points in the conversation, they would say that we are vulnerable and poor because of with the family that I was born in or the mm. community that I'm part of, or the ethnic group I'm part of, or the geography that I'm part of, mm. at, or the gender that I'm part of, at that stage, you're dealing with issues of the person mm. about which you cannot do any course correction at that time. Mm. Just simply, my a friend of mine would say, the only mistake a poor child did was to choose the wrong parents. Mm. Identity marred, self-image destroyed. And it is not accidental, it is intentionally perpetuated to let the poor know, the vulnerable know, that they are not made in the image of God. Can you think of ways in which, or stories that, that illustrate the way in which people discovering a fresh sense of identity, people discovering that I'm created in the image of God, have helped them recover from poverty or build new lives? Do you have some stories to illustrate that? Great story. A girl uh, called Jyoti. Um, when I first met her, she must have mm. been in the ninth grade. So let's say 14, 15 years, uh, an emerging leader among the children, very nervous. Um, she would only speak Hindi, um, was excited about going places, but the only world she knew was the slum where she was born, lived, worked, played. Um, and over years, as we worked with her, uh, she became, and when I met her a few months ago, I asked Jyoti what she's doing. She, is do, she was doing her second year postgraduate in social work. And she's such a confident young lady. She is teaching other young people uh, English, spoken English. And you should hear her speak English with mm. such confidence. You know, you and such joy on her face. Mm. And towards the end of our conversation, I asked Jyoti, uh, we would like to pray for you. What would you like us to pray for? And for someone who is that age, probably 20, she thought for a long time. I was a little surprised that she would think that long. And then she said, I want you to pray that my dreams would be accomplished. Mm. And she said this, and it stayed with me. She said, my dream is that others' dreams will be achieved. Mm. I thought to myself, if Jyoti could be transformed mm. from such a nervous little young child mm. to thinking of others' dreams, mm. great change, mm. great transformation. Mm. Uh, Jyoti has been such a hero for me in that sense. Mm. 
I think you say poverty also can be the result of poor interpretations or or distorted interpretations of history. How does that happen? Many of us, I think, make this uh, mistake assuming that when we get engaged with mm. poor communities is when the world starts for them. Forgetting that their today and their future will be a product of their history. And history in its is not simply a pure collection of facts. History is always interpretive. Mm -hmm. And if that interpreted history is, has a segment which is remembered selectively by communities. Mm -hmm. And history is always written from the position of the winner. Mm -hmm. That's how winners can remain winners. Mm -hmm. And the vulnerable and the marginalized are simply tools in writing history. Mm -hmm. They are never the, the heroes of history. Mm. And the systems tend to reinforce it. Social norms tend to reinforce it. Worldview tends to reinforce it constantly mm. so that the poor will always be vulnerable because history is written with, uh, with, with everything slanted against the poor and the vulnerable. Mm. History is the culprit. Mm. And the world tells the poor, God is not interested in you. God has actually forsaken you. Look at your history. Your history is your evidence, written from the winner's point of view. And for the church to be able to come alongside and say, no, God has been active in your history. Look at the fingerprints of God in your history. God has not abandoned you. Walter Brugman in his book, Prophetic Imagination would say that alternate reading of history in itself is a prophetic act. Mm. That is the role of the church. Mm. We may not answer all the questions, but just to say that there is another reading that is possible of history is the role of the church. Mm. Can you think of ways that local churches have engaged with particular communities to help them think about their own history in a new way? Okay, have you got examples of where that's happened, Will? I'm not sure of, I haven't come across local churches, mm. but I've seen communities that mm. have redefined their history. Mm. I still remember this uh, program or this visit that I had with a community. Mm. And uh, as part of our baseline work, we asked them mm. to draw pictures of their present and their future mm. dream. And they had drawn this picture, and no words, they just draw the picture of the present map of their community. And very simple, sketchy. And in this picture, there was this house that kind of stood out among all other houses. And the adult men were explaining to me what the picture is. The empowerment is in the people explaining their own dreams and history, not someone else, outsiders. And as they were explaining, this young girl, uh, she got up and said, told the other uh, mm. adult men, why are you so embarrassed to tell our friends why that particular house is taller and bigger than others? Mm. And all of them quiet and silent. I was, we were so embarrassed. Mm. It was here someone standing and challenging some of the adult men. And she goes in the front and says, that house, the person who lives in the house has been years for years exploiting our mothers. Mm. And over time, he has taken over all our land. That is why his house stands tall. That is our village. 
when that that the the realization that that they can the right to dream is still there in the fact mm. that they made in the image of god in itself is so empowering mm. poverty of the results from the distortion of truth as well and mm. the accumulation of lies and deceits and what are some of the lies that are presented to or that circulate around that entrenched poverty mm. all these things that i've been talking about mm. has an underlying pattern of lies mm. which perpetuate this that the powerful can play god in the lives of the poor a lie mm. force always prevails over ideology a lie mm. truth submits to power lie mm. uh, human beings are not made in the image of god a lie mm. relationships are defined by the mainstream another lie mm. so when we work among the poor we are up against what i call as a web of lies in which the poor and the vulnerable are captives mm. so our business then is to proclaim truth mm. in this context to be able to say that is a bluff that mm. is not true the mm. poor mm. too have the right to dream dreams the poor are made in the image of god the child can as have aspiration the child is made in the image of god the girl mm. child is made in the image of god the, to be able to say the truth and i i think the society owes to the vulnerable to call a bluff a bluff and unfortunately our media and all those kinds of things mm. tend to be great instruments our systems our education system our legal mm. system everything are great instruments to promote these lies and we are up against a system that mm. keeps the poor captive in a web of lies and how do principalities and powers feed into this because yeah, and sometimes we're not even clear what we're talking about when we're talking about principalities and powers but you talk about the way in which they might exploit or manipulate the poor um what are the principalities and powers and how do they often operate in this scenario there are uh, two three aspects that i Mm. wanted to highlight one is the role of principalities and powers in structures institutions and governing and the governing mm. ideology mm. the the lies that is promoted by principalities and powers uh that is one aspect that needs mm. to be challenged the other is the principalities and powers and the empowerment of symbols places uh, those kinds of things mm. we need to be conscious that we're dealing with those third is principalities and an impact on persons it does impact persons the health of poor non poor everyone but the cost paid by the poor for being impacted at their health their health being impacted is a huge cost we need to as we deal with principalities and powers we need to be conscious that we we are the victors in this already the principalities and powers can only scare us but cannot take our life can only tell lies but never produce truth can only produce counterfeit and never be creative we clearly mm-hmm. be able to tell the principalities and powers we have won the battle so the principalities and powers love to exploit these situations of vulnerability and i think mm-hmm. as the church we need to be conscious that we are victors and addressers forget our what our theology mm-hmm. about the principalities and powers might be but that is real uh, we cannot 
when we work with structures and systems, it's not enough simply to deal with structures and systems. We need to look at ideologies. What is the lie that is being promoted? Because after all, principalities and powers are father of lies. We need to be able to challenge that lies. Principalities and powers do not like brothers dwelling together. We need to be able to challenge the principalities and powers. Clearly the role of the church. I don't know of any other institution that come, can come alongside and challenge the role of the principalities and powers. And you seem to be presenting kingdom-based responses as well. Mm. During our whole conversation, you've been referring to that. So do you have any other thoughts about what do kingdom-based responses look like? The work among the poor mm. must produce at least, must stand the test of at least four criteria. First, the work must be sustainable. The change introduced mm. must be sustainable. The, the Christian, Christian intervention among the poor is not exempted from that standard. Must produce sustainable change. Second, must lend itself for scale because it is not enough simply to deal with vulnerability, sporadic vulnerability, but we need to deal with the context of the vulnerable. Otherwise, change will not be sustainable. Third, we need to have a deliberate bias for the most vulnerable in any society. Irrespective of caste, color, creed, religion, we need to become alongside the most vulnerable. Never in a manipulative way. Always to be able to come alongside and say, oh, we don't have any hidden agenda. We just want to come alongside and be with you. Fourth, the impact must be holistic. Must impact all areas of life. For this to be produced, we need a, a response that will deliver these on these four criteria. When the communities play, when the non-poor be play God in the lives of the poor, in my mind, the most viable alternative is the rule and the reign of God, called the kingdom of God. When re broken relationships are broken, the most viable, sustainable, scalable solution is restoration of relationship. Learn from a triune God. Mm. When we're dealing with mad identity, the most sustainable, scalable, holistic solution to the most vulnerable is restoring the image of God. Mm. Learn from the kingdom of God. Mm. So for me, kingdom of God is not simply making our work more Christian than others. Mm. It is the most viable, sustainable, feasible solution to Poverty. As you've served with and among the poor over many decades, what's most surprised you? Oh, the love of the poor for us, mm. the grace space they give us for our mistakes. Mm. Um, I don't need to be a finished perfect product. I can just still be work in progress and be among the poor and the love that they share with you. They are such a resilient community. We have much to learn. We work among the poor, Graham, for our benefit, for our transformation. We are such an inadequate people. We work among the poor and the vulnerable so that we will be transformed. But one of the things I've learned is if our model of transformation, in our model of transformation, if the agent of transformation is not continuously transformed, Mm. Our model lacks integrity. Mm. I go there to be transformed. Mm. And the poor do it so gently. Mm. 
not as rudely as I would do. They do it so gently, sensitively, lovingly. They would inquire about us. They would teach us resilience. So, joy. Those are joyful surprises. Never, never try going there as a finished perfect product. I can just be who I am. When people feed back to you what they're reading in your work or you know when you've led a seminar somewhere what's most misunderstood about what you're saying one which i've struggled with and i think it's probably the struggle of the western mindset western mindset tends to make spiritual one is to confuse spiritual with religion and morals that one Confusion number one, and then equated with other aspects of life like the socio-economic, political, everything, as though mm. this is kind of one of the many aspects of domains of life. Mm. In my understanding of life and work mm. among the poor, spiritual is embedded in all those domains: in the social, mm. economic, political, in the form mm. of ideology, in the form of lies, in the form of broken relationships. Mm. So it is not just oh, I do the spiritual thing. But also do the social and the economic mm. thing. This is the beginning of fragmentation that will not produce holism. The spiritual is embedded in all mm. these sectors, social, mm. economic. For some reason, I'm not able to convince the Western mindset mm. on that. No? Mm. Look at our lives. We don't live spiritual and then social mm. and then economic. No? Mm. It's so integral to who we are. Mm. That is probably, I don't know, that's misunderstanding might be a mild mm. word. Mm. Confusion, I think. Mm. Is there anything else you want to say to us today? Uh, I think the church in particular owes it to the society to be, be simply winsome and mm. never feel insecure about serving our society mm. with a significant portion of them being vulnerable. The church needs to be there in the forefront without a hidden agenda, just as a servant community that seeks to serve uh, with no hidden agenda. And our relationships, just for relationships' sake, and never make it transactional. Just be there. Because our nations are bleeding. And who else but the church? Jackie McChristian, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Faith Across Borders. If you want to stay connected with us and receive updates on future episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Music and Spotify. You can also follow us on social media at Faith Across Borders to join the conversation and share your thoughts. Stay tuned for more engaging discussions and enlightening episodes.